Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Well, good morning. What a time of worship. Thank you for that. You know, oftentimes we thank the worship team, but, you know, honestly, they could do that all day, and if they had no participation from the congregation, it wouldn't have anything of the power of God on it like it just did. Amen? Amen. It is us who bring in and usher in the presence of God. I'm excited about that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're also going to be talking about Numbers chapter 14. I'm not going to have time to go all the way through it, but I do want to get into and continue in our series, Kingdom Carriers, and get into uh, God's promise of rest. How many would say, I need rest? How many know that you qualify as a believer to enter into God's rest? Would you raise your hand in that? How many would say, because of that fact, that that you don't need to preach this morning, I've had enough? We could just go ahead and go now, or we can wait 35 minutes and get the full message from the Lord. He's got a a great message for us today, and I'm on. uh, If you need notes, if uh, they're they're right here on the uh, deck, is anybody was anybody like notes? Raise your hand if you'd like notes, and they'll get them to you. Okay, we're going to continue to talk, and we're talking about uh, uh, the aspect from the point where Jesus gives. If you hadn't followed with us in the past, he gives the keys to the kingdom to the disciples. And he says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. And, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about those keys or some of those keys in the coming weeks. And today we're talking about the key to the promise of rest that is for all who are in covenant with Jesus. And so to start it off, I just want to kind of review of what we've talked about in the weeks past. If you remember, when we come into covenant with God, we come into covenant with Him because we have received His Son, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we know, because His Word tells us, that our old man is dead Dead, dead. Not enough participation. Our old man is dead, dead, dead. And we are alive to God. We come alive to God and we begin to enter into the things of the kingdom. Now, it is a process, it's a lifelong process to be changed into the image of Christ. And so we begin this process as we go. Jesus said to his disciples, now that you've entered in, now that you've come alive to me, I want you to go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And, and they go and wait, and they wait there, and they wait there, and wait there. And then there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this prophesy in Joel, Joel that comes on the disciples and comes on the whole church. From the church age on, we have the potential to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes, when we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we often think about, uh, you know, uh, getting more of God. Uh, and, and that is true. That has a great context. But I think another context that might be even better is places we allow God to have access to. When you open things up to the Lord, He will fill them. 
And sometimes we compartmentalize things and we don't allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit to operate. And He wants to walk us down through that and He gives us the keys to be able to do that. Today we're going to talk about entering into God's rest. And there's, it's really twofold. It starts in, in Exodus and Numbers and goes through that. And there's a story about that. And I, I'm going to talk about that, but it covers so much ground. I'm going to have to just tell you a little bit of the story. And then Paul, just to bring it into the New Testament, talks about it in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, talking about entering into the rest of God. Now he's talking about it in twofold. Now, from this moment on, I might have your attention, but you're going to have to make a decision from right here on on whether or not you're going to validate this, whether you're going to engage yourself and believe what's about to be presented to you. Because it's very difficult in our culture to, to, to really get a hold of this concept that God wants us to. How many think that God was concerned or is surprised by the culture of America in 2017? If, how many of you think that if he didn't know what the culture would have been like in 2017, he might have changed the rules? If he could have just had some foresight, he, he might have changed the rules a little bit. How many think that's ludicrous? That's ludicrous. And so we have to understand that God is not concerned about what our culture is like. What he wants us to do is put on his culture. He wants us to enter into the kingdom culture, right? We track him with that, and that culture includes rest. Now, this is the way Paul presents it in Hebrews that is presented already in Numbers and Exodus, that the first place of rest is understanding that God created the Sabbath. Now, I don't have time to teach a lot on the Sabbath today. I'm going to teach a little bit. But he, he in, introduces to us the Sabbath. And this is how it's introduced. It's introduced as a day of rest, a day that you and I are supposed to rest from our work, our busyness, our everyday lives, and it's a day where we can focus on our need and our position before God. It's, it's our alignment with the Lord, with our alignment with His way, our alignment with our understanding that without him we can do nothing. And it repositions us and realigns us with that. Now, most of the church, oftentimes the church, comes up with all kinds of ways why they can discount the idea of a Sabbath. And the number one thing that you hear oftentimes is that's Old Testament. Name one other Old Testament law that was given in the Ten Commandments that you're going to negate. There's no other Old Testament law in the Ten Commandments that we try to negate. We don't like the fact that God wants us to rest. And the truth of the matter is, until you get the first part right, you are going to have a hard time with the second part of his rest. Now, so you can argue whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. You can come up with all kinds of ways to argue this idea of a Sabbath, but let me just give you a most powerful 
bomb that the Lord dropped on me as he convicted me about this particular message. Now, let me just tell you, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me because our culture doesn't lean itself towards the Sabbath. Okay, so this is, this is just truth. And, we've got to, and that, that decision that I was talking to you about just a minute ago that you've got to make is whether you're going to align with the ways of God or not. Okay? So, how many of you make macaroni and cheese, ladies or men, some of you men like to cook too, like your mom or daddy, or something like that? Make a roast, a pot roast. This is how mama made a pot roast. This is how, you know, you, and you make it the same way. Why do you make it that way? Because mama made it that way. <laughs> right? We, we have an inclination to do things like our mama if we lived in a healthy environment or our daddy, right? All right, here's the deal. If we believe that as part of the process of entering into the kingdom of heaven is to be transformed into the image of Christ, if we're to be renewed and to begin to take on qualities of God as we're transformed so that we can be the glory of the Lord to the world, so people can actually come to Christ not because of what we say but because of what we've become, If we really believe that, then we understand when, even when it's presented the first time, and then again in Hebrews chapter 4, this is the way it's presented. God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them in six days, and on the seventh day, our Father... There's no other reason than to keep the Sabbath except to do it because our Daddy did it. Why you keep the Sabbath? Because Daddy did it. If God rested and it worked for him, isn't that logical? Isn't that just, I mean, it, it blows everything else up. Why are you going to keep the Sabbath? Well, because God keeps the Sabbath. Okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> that's convicting enough, isn't it? We can stop right there. But that's not the plan. You see, when, when, when we get to heaven, man, I'm not even going on the notes. I'm just giving it to you. Is that all right? Can I just give it to you? I just want to give it to you. When, 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 <laughs> when we come to Jesus and we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we become part of the family of God. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. There should be fruit of righteousness being born out of our relationship with God that ought to be evident to the world. There ought to be kingdom things happening. But here's the truth. Once you've made that decision, and once you are part of the family of God, that you're in relationship with God and you're bearing that fruit, and you're secure in your salvation, then from then on, you don't have to worry about judgment. There's going to be a judgment that is going to separate sheep from goats. Sheep being God's children. 
right? You've entered into the family of God. Goats being those who have refused God's sacrifice for sin. There is a judgment that separates the sheep from the goats. And you can have any timeline concept of when that's going to happen, but let me just tell you, all that matters is there's going to be a separation of sheep and goats no matter when it happens, no matter what's your eschatology. And then there's a second judgment. Brandon talked about it on Wednesday night, this Abima judgment, which is a judgment on the church. Now, you don't have to worry about the first judgment because you're a sheep. Right? But the second one you got to worry about. And that second judgment is this. God has given you gifts. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you personality. He's given you resources. He's given you all that you have available to you. And he wants to know how well you believed what he says about you and what he says about he is and how those two meet. How he, what you believe about him, what you believe about who you are, and what you believe about what he wants to do through you based on his word. And there are a judgment of how well you did that and how much fruit you bore. We just watched a, a kind of a cool little, uh, e, I think it was ETV, series on the Beatles. You know, the Beatles had everything this world has to offer. I mean, they were stinking, filthy rich. They had fame, fortune, houses, everything the world could have, and they were absolutely miserable people. The same is true with some of the Beach Boys. All the fame, everything that they could have, and they were miserable people. And they were searching for spiritual things, and they never would lock into the fact that Jesus was Lord. And the only thing that's going to ever bring you to a place of rest is the fact that you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and you begin to align with His Word. So that leads us down to some of these things I've got in your notes. Let me read just real quickly Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but those who wait on the Lord, let's read that together. So that, let's read this out loud. Let's read it loudly as if we mean it, okay? But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now, if we read that, we have to say, that looks a lot like rest. That looks like I can run and not get winded. How many of the larger folks in the room would say that would be a good thing? If I could run out the door without getting winded, would be good. Uh, you know, I can walk and not wear out. I won't get tired. You know, he's talking about doing life. And he says, those who wait... On the Lord. Now, the key to waiting on the Lord, really, that word in, in the Greek means, it means to, uh, I mean, in the Hebrew, it means to, uh, to hope, to look for, to wait for. There's an eager expectation of what God's about to do. Those who have an eager expectation of the magnificent grace and power of God that's about to move in this circumstances, those people 
who believe him, believe who he is, what he said about who they are, and what he wants to do through them. Those people will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run. They'll walk and not get weary or faint. It's this position and posture before God where we believe him. Now, we, when we begin to study this, we have to see that, that it is brought about by what happens in Exodus and Numbers. <laughs> I got to hurry. And uh, so the story goes like this. I mean, it's a, it's a long story. Maybe how, how many have heard of Caleb? I mean, not that you have a friend named Caleb, but you know who Caleb is. Really raise your hand for me. If you know who Caleb is in the Bible, if you don't know, listen, listen, I don't want you to be uh, feel, feel less than, but I do want you to find out who Caleb is. If you don't know who Caleb, I'm challenging you right now, this week, discover who Caleb is. Don't sit in ignorance and don't go to another church that allows you to do so. Okay? Did y'all hear that? That's a word from the Lord, by the way. Just... <laughs> All right. Caleb is the dude who, uh, who is, is on God's side. He's, he believes God. He's known for that all in Scripture. It even talks about it in Hebrews as we get into it in chapter 4. But this is what goes on. The people of God, the Israelites, are in captivity in prison, enslaved for 400 years. And God says a deliverer that you might have heard of, his name was Moses. Moses goes as a voice of God and proclaims, let my people go. And because of God's softening Pharaoh's heart and hardening it, he did both. He softened it to the point where he released the people of Israel from captivity and prison, which is a type of you being released from the power of sin and death over your life, that imprisonment of your bad choices, of your bad decision, or your family lineage, your abusive situations of the past. There is a freedom represented in that prison, in that captivity that it has your name on it. It's a picture of that. And then he sends them through the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism. And then they walk around in the wilderness trying to figure out who God is and how to follow God. Anybody in that situation? And then they come to a place where God is providing for them. He's working miracle after miracle after miracle, and he tells them to go into the promised land. And they get to the edge of the promised land, and they take 12 people, one from every tribe, and they send them in to the place that God has promised to get a report of what's going on inside the place of promise. And 12 of them come back, and 10 of them say, it's too hard. Ten of them say, <laughs> ten of them say, I hear church bells. <laughs> ten of them say, it's too hard. There's giants in the land. We, we'll be devoured. We're small. We're, we're this. We're that. Every excuse that they can think of to say that we can't do what God has promised. We can't enter into the promise of God. There are only two who say, we can do it. We can do it because our God is with us. Two out of 12. 
That's interesting, isn't it? Two out of 12, one of them is Caleb. What God says about Caleb is you, Caleb, will enter my rest. Now, what we have to understand about this whole rest thing is when they crossed into the promised land, that's entering into God's rest because God is with them. And eventually when they came in, do you, if you know the story, they begin to conquer their enemies one by one because God conquered their enemies one by one. Do you know that that is a picture of you? God wants to conquer your enemies one by one. Those things, whether you chose them, whether you, you brought them about, whether they, how, it didn't matter how they came to you, God wants to set you free. God wants to bring you out of captivity, and he wants to bring you to the place of promise, which is the kingdom of God, and that is in his rest. So the reason I chose rest right off the bat is God's rest doesn't mean that you don't have conflict that you don't have tribulation, that you don't have things that you've got to fight. You've got to fight. God's rest means I am with you. I'll be with you. I'll do the work. I'll, I'll walk with you. I'll have the power to get done in your life what needs to get done. That's what God's rest means. And you only have two who come back and say, I believe God. Amen. Let me just tell you this. Let me give you an idea of what that's like. When we think about Scripture, we're going to get into this in just a moment, and I won't have to go over it then. I'll go over it now. This is called logos. This logos means it's the entire Word of God. Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation. Logos. It applies to every aspect of your life, and what we as believers are supposed to do is take the full context of Scripture and begin to move in that the way God wants. That's why the Old Testament and the New Testament can be married, because they say the same thing. They're all talking about Jesus and what Jesus did for us. So the rhema word means that you can take like one particular passage of Scripture, like, like this, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You could take that one verse and begin to apply it to a particular situation that, that hell is coming at you, but you're going to say about that hellish situation, I'm going to stand firm on the Word of God, I'm going to believe who God is because I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Right? That is called a rhema word. That is a word that you can use. Now, what we are going to be held accountable for is whether we believe the, the Logos word, the whole scripture, and whether we believed the Rhema word. That's what the judgment's going to be about because it's the word of God that actually does the work. You don't do anything. You do nothing. You are an agent of the power of God, and you speak... The rhema word. And the rhema word does its work swiftly. It's the word of God that actually does the work. And so Caleb comes back and he does it. Now here's what it's like. Y'all ready? Y'all going to have to help me because I don't know that if I can do it. We've got the Baptists and the Presbyterians. There's 12 of us. There's 12 going in, right? We've got the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and the Lutherans, and the Catholics and the Church of God, and the Assembly of God, and the... Huh? 
Yeah, we're going to go ahead and go with believers, though. Where, is that Alma? I, know, I can hear his voice. Where is he at? Oh, he's hiding back there in the corner. Okay, a Jehovah's Witness. We'll throw them in, all right? And then uh, Church of God, Methodists, Presbyterians. I need one more. Pentecostal. We've got all these denominations going into the land of promise. And they come back and say, we don't believe God does that anymore. We don't know that, we don't know if it works like that. Or you've got two that come out, and it doesn't matter which denomination, it's whether or not you're going to believe whether the word of God is true for the day, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Is he that? Is he that to you? Are you going to make a decision that you're going to be one of the two? No matter what life looks like, no matter what circumstances we face, that we're going to be the two that say God's word is true. It's true. I'm going to stand on it. I'm not going to waver. I'm going to believe. I don't care what I see. How do you enter that? Well, first of all, you got to take Sabbath. And then, and then, you got to recognize who you are. But before we get to that, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, if we got that. 1 Corinthians, let's read this out loud and loudly. And let's say it this way. I'll start it off. Everything Pastor just talked about. Let's say that. Everything Pastor just talked about. These things happen to them as examples who for us. They were written down to warn us who live in the end of age. They were written down so that we would be warned that our tendency would not be to believe God. That we would be like the tent. And they were written down to warn us about that. So who is promised God's rest? They are covenant people. They are the people of God. God chose Israel. He loves Israel. You know what God says? He says, don't swear. Listen, you think, you think this is over? This ain't over. God says, don't swear on heaven because that's God's home. Don't swear on earth because that's his footstool. Don't swear on Jerusalem. He loves Israel. They are the ones he intends to receive Messiah. And then he grasps in the Greek, which is most of us. We get to participate in what God did for Israel. So we qualify to enter into his rest. We're his covenant people. 
Now then the question becomes, do all covenant people enter its rest? And the answer is, no. Some covenant people walk around in the wilderness. Some covenant people do what is found in, in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14 says this, verse, uh, verse 2. The people came back and they talked about going in. They said, no, I'm better off in the wilderness that I've been in for the last however many years, 400 years. We're better off if we'd have just stayed 40 years. We'd have been better off staying in the wilderness or in prison. I, I was better off as an unbeliever. I was better off when I wasn't receiving the promises of God or moving out in faith into something that took more than I could do on my own. I was better off. I'd rather just stay in my comfort zone than to have to move out in faith and believe in what God wants to do in me and through me because I'm so comfortable with it. They complained to Moses with that mindset. Now the question is, if we're being warned, are we going to leave this place with that same thought process? We're going to leave here today thinking to ourselves, I'm just going to stay where I've always been. I'm just going to continue to live here because I'd just soon die here than try to do things God's way. So all God's covenant people don't enter into his wrath. It's only those who believe that he is God and they believe his word. Jesus said this, this way in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying the same thing about rest. Does that say, sound like rest? It sounds like rest, right? We had a, a Tony Durkin uh, spoke to uh, our men's group. I've been trying to get him to preach this message every time he speaks since he spoke there about this message and he hasn't and so i'm gonna steal his message this morning and i'm gonna preach it to you real quickly so a yoke if you don't know what a yoke is a yoke is not a collar a collar is what you put on a horse or a mule or whatever when you're plowing a field and they're singular it's just one horse one mule one one thing you put a collar on him and you pull the plow behind it and it does the work when you yoke something, you yoke two things together. You yoke one horse or one mule with another mule. Now, the idea behind that is, is you take a mature mule or horse or bull or whatever, you take that one who has experience. You take that one who knows the way. You take that one who, who knows how to follow instructions. And when I move to the left, I move to the left. When he moves to the right, I move to the right. That's not some fairy song that we sing and dance to that is actually an idea that comes from the kingdom of heaven that says when God moves one way I move with him when God moves another I move with him because I am yoked with Jesus Jesus is saying with this yoke example yoke yourself to me I'm experienced I know the way I don't say anything except when the father says it I don't do anything that unless I see the father doing it Yoke yourself with me and watch the Word of God do its work and do it swiftly. Yoke yourself with that because 
It's easy. It's light. Why? Because you don't do anything. That young buck mule that thinks he knows everything, that doesn't have a clue, is you and me. Right? And Jesus teaches us how to do the work. We follow him. He does the work. We walk beside him. We're yoked with him. He said it this way. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Unless you abide in me and I in you, you won't bear any fruit. But if you abide in me and I in you, guess what? You produce fruit. What kind of fruit do you produce? Kingdom fruit. Not earthly fruit. Not worldly fruit. Not your kingdom fruit. His kingdom fruit. Why? Because you abide in the vine. And that vine is going to produce itself through you. So that rest that he's talking about other than the Sabbath is a rest where we actually believe God and we believe his word. We abide in him. Psalm 95, 7 and 10 says this, For he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, let's read this out loud. It's just too good. Because this is talking about you and me. It's talking about our decision. Let's read it. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if I will hear his voice. Let's say it. Let's put it in singular. Today, if I will hear his voice and do not harden my heart as in the rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, when our fathers tested him, they tried him, though they saw his work. God was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their heart. They do not know my ways. So where do they go astray? They go astray in their hearts. The thing about our hearts is it's open ground for the Lord. The God of the universe sees your heart. He's the Lord who sees. Matter of fact, he says that's his name. I'm the God who sees. Job 26.6 says, Hell is naked before God, and destruction is covering. Proverbs, it says it this way, Proverbs 15.11, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. So much more are the hearts of the sons of men. Now, in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 69, you know this is my favorite verse, but you're going to find out a little bit more about my favorite verse. How many of you say, I cut the second part off? Because the first part's just as true. And I believe this with all my heart. And I believe he's doing it in this age, in this culture, in the church, the church in general, not only in the United States, but in the world. That the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth. And there, he is looking for a heart that is solely devoted to him so that he can show himself strong through that man and woman. That is the nature and the character of God. He's looking for somebody to pour his glory on. And he's, his eyes are looking. 
And in this particular generation, if we got that scripture, in this particular generation, he says, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you're going to struggle. The truth is the truth. But the question is, are we going to believe what he says? What do you believe? You believe his word and his way. He sees our heart. He sees our response to him. He sees our response to his word. And he knows that his word moves swiftly. Psalm 147, 15 says this. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. His word is what bears fruit. And so today, when we think about this, when you think about this, let me tell you what rest is not. Rest is not depending on your own good ideas. God doesn't want you to be stupid, but he wants you to pursue him in everything that you're about to make a decision on. He says about you and me that our, 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 our thinking looks right in our own eyes. We, we impress ourselves. And he says, bring that to me and let me give you. You know, even a good idea can be bad timing. It can't be God's timing and then it's going to fall flat. And if you just waited on the Lord and depended on him, he might have made that idea great. Matter of fact, it might have been his idea at the wrong time. He is looking for us to depend on him, to wait upon the Lord with expectation so that he can do something. And he wants your response to be that you're going to rest in him, that you're going to have an expectation of him doing something supernatural in your situation. And he's going to know whether you really believe it or not. You see, what you believe doesn't necessarily mean what comes out your mouth. You know, I hear a lot of good talk by Christians and don't see a lot of prayer before God. We talk a good game. But we're not asking God much for his solutions his vision. The Word of God says without God's vision, His people, His people perish. Because it's yoking with Jesus. Because it's abiding. That abiding is rest. Don't go out on your own. Don't make financial decisions on your own. Don't make marital decisions on your own. Don't not follow the word of God when it comes to treating people good. Don't not follow the word of God when it talks about honoring people. Now, I'm three minutes over, but I still want to say this. If Jesus walked in the door right now, this is what he's looking for. Now, I want you to think this through, really. Stay with me just for one more second. I promise I'm quitting. Jesus walks through the door right now. What's he going to be to us? You know, he's not going to need anything. Why? Because he knows who he is. He is absolutely full to the brim. He doesn't need affirmation. He doesn't need encouragement. 
There is nothing that he's going to walk in the room and saying and looking around here and saying, how can I serve this group of people? How can I help make this people successful, prosper, receive a reward? He's going to be looking how he could give because he doesn't need anything from us. And he wants to create people who are the same. The only way we can be that is if we yoke with Christ. Because he has everything we need. And he says, if you'll do that, you'll, you'll be in my rest. So we can make a decision whether we believe the word of God, the logos or the rhema, by what we do, no matter what we see. How we respond to what we see tells the Lord what we believe. And the question today is, will you believe? I haven't even read Hebrews chapter 4 yet. <laughs> Have I? <laughs> I'm going to go to this translation and read it real quick. Don't be looking at my clock. <laughs> Hebrews, this is a this is an ancient roots translinear translation. This takes the, the, he, uh, the Greek, actually, and puts it in uh, an old English kind of, the original English kind of way. I'm going to start with 3.16. For who, who were they, those that heard and were angering him? Not all these, not all these that dispersed from Egypt by Moses and those that exhausted him for 40 years but by those that sinned. In other words, there were some in there that didn't make God mad. Their bones fell in the wilderness. He swore about those that would never into his oasis, is the way it says, his rest. But over those that have not responded, he was mad and angered over those that didn't respond. We see that they could not enter because of not believing. Then it says this, Therefore fear the Lord. Otherwise, when rising to enter his oasis of the royal proclamation. <laughs> there was a proclamation over here when you came to a saving knowledge of God. I'm going to pour out my spirit. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this proclamation. All covenant people, my rest is a promise for you. Will you enter? I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Some men will be found that they are lingering more than entering. Are you going to be a lingerer or an enterer? He's given you the keys. The choice is whether you're going to believe and respond to his word. Amen? Anybody challenged? Praise God. The pastor is Severely challenged. But we're going to do it, aren't we? Because it's God's word and we believe it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Stephen's going to come up. Don't go anywhere yet. Stephen's going to come up after I pray and he's going to tell you what's going on in the foyer real quickly and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray that this word 
not go void. I pray, God, that we would be challenged enough to check and see in your word whether the preacher was telling the truth or not. And if it is, I pray that we make a decision to believe you, God, no matter what we see. That we would enter your rest because you've given us the key and it is a promise for your covenant people. I thank you, God, that you're going to teach us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.